Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford, coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee, and with me, as always, is Terry Ishi in Austin, Texas. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you doing? Uh, good. Under quarantine right now, so always fun. Uh, yeah, my, my youngest daughter tested positive, so that's always fun. I should probably edit that out, because she probably doesn't want that known to the world, but... I don't think she's a listener. She's not a listener. That's the best part. Is she's not a listener, so she's not going to care. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're good uh, surviving that. But also with us today that we're excited about is Brenna Varner. Brenna's been on the podcast a couple of different times, and we're excited to have you with us. Brenna, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Yes, Brenna's coming from Albany, Oregon. Uh, yes. Could you explain Albany, Oregon, Oregon okay. to us? Yeah, Oregon. Oregon is a state on the west side of the United Ooh. States of America, south of Washington and north of California, uh, home of Portland, Oregon. You may have heard of it. We're about an hour south of Portland, uh, just uh, in a small town nestled between the mountains and the coast. So it's wine country. It's a wonderful place to live and to be. You should visit sometime. We should. Yeah, we're actually looking forward to it. And one of the things that I'm most excited about was when we do visit, one of the things that we're going to have to see is this famous RV that you guys got. So you have to explain the RV. This was the quarantine purchase, right? Yes, it was a, it was a crazy COVID purchase. Um, we uh, took all the money that we had been saving for a kitchen remodel and said, you know, those cabinets have been there for 60 years. They can be there another couple of years. And so we took that money and bought an old RV uh, so that we could have forced family fun that the kids have to be with us. They <laughs> are uh, 16 and 14, and they, uh, you know, scatter like cockroaches in the house. So we got even a smaller house and that they have to they have to spend time with us. And my family, we actually looked into renting an RV once, and my wife looked at me. So it's me and I've my wife, and then we have three girls. So ours are 16, 13, and 9. And my wife looked at me like, are, are you crazy? <laughs> You want to lock all of us in a in a small little house and drive her across the country? No, this is never going to happen. Yep, it's 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 actually lots of fun. We really have been enjoying uh, just being able to pull up to Costco, say, "Hey, kids, what do you want to eat?" Throw it in and just hit the road. It's been nice. It's been great. Yeah, it's funny, um, Bethany. We, she's been on this big kick. She's like, "Dad, you need to culture me in movies because you know if you're listening, you know I'm a huge movie fan." And she was like, Dad, you got to show me these really good movies. Like she's seen all of Sandler and Farrell and all that. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give you an education on, on film appreciation. So this past year, we watched uh, some of the Best Picture uh, nominees and Nomadland was one of them. And I said, hey, we're going to watch this together. Check it out. This isn't a superhero flick. This is just a story, uh, you know, a, a glimpse in the life of a part of America. And we sat through and I was like, I wonder how she thought about it. At the end of the movie, she looked over at me and said, Dad, we got to get an RV. <laughs> so she was like, she's all in on the idea of an RV. Uh, and she's like, we don't even need one of the big ones. We can just get like a van, just like in the movie. And we can just sleep in the back of a van and just drive around. And so so Bethany's all in. So now we got to figure out how to make that happen. She's got some some big dreams there at uh I think he's 15 right now. 15, yeah. 15, yeah. you know, she wants to live in the back of a van. You're doing something right, Dad. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Brennan, thanks for being on the podcast today. Um, you're one of my favorite people. Uh, you and Joel, uh, you guys are awesome. You guys, I love the Pacific Northwest. And so uh, we're, we're always, uh, I'm always excited to have you on and hear your perspective. Uh, something that people listening may not know, uh, Brenna, where, where actually, where, where were you born? You're not from Oregon. You're from Washington, correct? Yeah. yeah. I'm, Joel and I are both from the Seattle area. And That's we moved right. in here about 15 years ago. Very cool. And so what other people, what listeners may not know is that Alan is actually from Tacoma, Washington. He was born in Tacoma, Washington. And I was born in Seattle, Washington. And so all three of us are, you know, we all hail from the state of Washington, even though I haven't been there since I was like, you know, six months old. <laughs> okay. I knew that Terry was born in the Seattle area. Alan, how have we been friends this long? And I did not <laughs> know that you were also Washington born. Yeah. Well, I mean, the same thing. Uh, Dad was in the military, so I was born there in Washington State or in, in Tacoma. And we left when I was six months old. So never been back. I uh, would love to go back. Would love to go see that neck of the woods. But yeah, no memories of it whatsoever. So Tacoma, um, when I was young, um, was kind of known as like the smelly city of of Washington. Uh, maybe a decade ago, uh, we took the girls up there to go do some family vacation. We ended up in downtown Tacoma. And it is fantastic. Uh, we were shocked at how nice uh, Tacoma had become. It's a it's a great little spot. All right. Well, then I'll take you up on it. I got to I got to visit at some point and make the Pacific Northwest tour. But Brenna, it's great to have you with us. And this is a bit of a teaser because we are officially ending season three today. And we are working towards season four. We've been working pretty hard on what season four is going to look like. We're excited. It's going to launch at the beginning of October. And Brenna is going to join us as our third host. We figured people have, people have heard enough of Terry and I. We needed um, someone smart and intelligent and much better looking than us to be on the podcast. It's so, Brenna, so glad Maybe you're with one us. One of those three things is true. <laughs> That's, we won't say which one. <laughs> so good to have you with us, man. Uh, it's good. We're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to happen. But hey, to kind of like wrap up season three, one of the things we wanted to look at was the the theme we've been kind of working through was questions the church should be asking. And we've asked it in different ways. And uh, we kind of wanted to sit down and say, hey, of all of those questions for you guys, which one resonated the most with you? Yeah, there were several questions that that came to mind as, as I sit and think about it. But uh, there's one of them, uh, so I won't pick like my favorite, but I'll pick one that was more than a question, but it was more of an idea that just it's been stuck in my head and I can't seem to shake it uh, is Josh Armstrong's idea of a minimalist megachurch. Th that whole idea of how do like, what do we do with the megachurch? And, you know, part of Forge, we we do get conversations and and. We do have several uh, churches that we do work with who would fall under the category of mega. And, you know, it'd be easy just to say, well, they're, you know, they're a lost cause. You know, they're all about attraction, extractional. So we just, you know, don't waste our time. But I don't think that's a good posture either. Uh, and so I am intrigued by the idea. I don't I don't know if I have anything to add to it, but that was a fascinating uh, thought. And, and I can't remember if that was something that he came up with or maybe he'd heard it from someone else, but it's definitely fascinating. Yeah, so it is. So he actually, he said he had heard it from somewhere, but he couldn't remember where. And I've never heard the term anywhere else. Uh, I've yeah. not heard the term, but the, the concept of a minimalist megachurch. In other words, 
what would a megachurch do with its resources if it took a minimalist posture? He's part of the Vineyard Tribe and John Wimber, how John Wimber had four big things for the church that the church should be, which was a school, a hospital, a family, and then an army. And we had to unpack this idea of the army which was the idea of what are you being deployed to? And if you're being deployed towards being mobilized, like you're mobilizing your people towards mission, then I can get behind that army idea. And the idea of a minimalist megachurch looking at those four and saying, how do we put our resources behind that? Um, you know, the idea of a school, yeah, we're going to teach people. The idea of a hospital, we're going to take care of people. And the idea of a family, we're going to be a community that cares for one another, cares for each other deeply but we're also deployed towards mission. Uh, you're right. That concept, I've not seen anywhere. Maybe we need to get Josh to actually kind of explore it more, uh, show us some examples, proof of concept, and actually poke at this idea a little bit better. Right off the bat, the beginning of the season, um, you know, Beth Wolf always uh, just says things that take me by surprise. Uh, and she comes in strong and with such wonderful ideas. And at the beginning of this podcast, she right off the bat was like, well, why do we have church? What's the point? Like, mm. She did not mince words. And I appreciate that about her so much to get down to the bare bones of asking really tough questions about why we're doing anything that we do. Uh, and, and to start the season off with that and have everything on the table for us to be able to unpack and to examine. It's, it's a hard time to do that uh, and such a needed time. I really appreciate Beth. Well, it's only fitting that it was our first episode of the season, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, it, it totally reminds me of Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Uh, and of all the questions we, we we have had asked this season, I think that is kind of like the first question you have to ask, right? It's 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 starting. It's the idea of starting with the why. Why why does the church exist? Why why do what we do? Why why why? And so uh, and I find that's probably one of the most powerful questions uh, that I, we in Forge ask um, as I work with churches and with church leaders, when you, when you put that question on them, it's like, why, why, why do the things that you're wanting to do? Uh, if you don't have a really solid answer there, if you, if you haven't really wrestled with it and kind of came up with something that that's uniquely you to your context, you're, you're in store for a very boring and frustrating journey as, as a church leader. Cause I think that, I think there are a ton of churches out there that are bored they're frustrated because they are basically living on some kind of loop, you know, uh, where it's just there's every week. It's the same thing over and over again. It's like, hey, Sunday starts. As soon as Sunday's over, it's coming back in seven days, right? It's like memento. It's just you start the day over and over again just at a week's time. And I've been a part of those churches, you know, where it's like you're just in that that system and it's like, Everything is to the next Sunday. And then when that Sunday's over, you can breathe, go to lunch, and then, all right, back at it. We got, you know, in seven days, it's it's coming again. And it's really, really easy to lose sight of why you exist, why you gather, what's the what's the purpose? Why why are we put why are we putting a certain group of people in a room? What are we trying to achieve there? Other than just teaching them, singing at them, and those sorts of things. And and please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to minimalize. The gathering and those things because it can be beautiful and it can be super helpful but i think it has to have a really strong why if, if it's going to be meaningful yeah and if i remember right it's hershey always talks about the concept of most of what we do as a church is inherited 
Mm. We've inherited what we do. And he always says it's a very Eurocentric idea, concepts, the things that we do, how we do church. We've just inherited it and we've accepted it as water, right? Like it's just the water we live in. Like here it is. This is how we do church. You're part of this community. You're part of this culture. This is how we do it. So Beth's question, you're right, Brenda. It just gets to the heart of it. Why do we even need church? Like, what? why is it that we need it? And what I loved is she wrestled with that question herself and kind of came through it. Here, here's the reason why we need church. But I would say that that's a question that we all need to ask, right? Like, if, you, if you're a part, if you're a Christian and you're, you know, on this faith journey thing, you're a church leader, whatever it is, we're all struggling with, okay, so why? Why, why do I do what we do? Um all of that. That's one of the things I loved about, if I remember right, is the beginning of the Tampa Underground book, which was called, was it called Underground Church? I think. Mm -hmm. So Brian Sanders, when they kind of told their story, one of the most uh, beautiful things that I got out of that book was when all of the leaders of the Underground, before it was even born, kind of said, let's take all the pieces of the church and throw it out on a table and say, why do we do what we do? And they just kind of took it all apart, every little piece of the church, and just held it up and said, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And and not just in a let's just deconstruct it to deconstruct it way, but in a way that says genuinely, what is God asking us to do? And I love that because at the end of the book, if I remember right, he says, I hope my kids do the same thing. I hope my kids don't just inherit this model of church that I happen to create, but that my kids sit down and go, okay, why do we do what we do? And again, it's not just deconstruction for deconstruction's sake. It is for, you know, hey, what is it that God's calling us to do? It's funny that you you, you say that. And I giggle not because I, I'm making, I want to make light of what you're saying, but I'm, I think I'm already guilty of it. You know, me and Bethany were listening to a podcast this past weekend. We're, we're driving and I was like, hey, I want to listen to this podcast. It's a guy who's deconstructing and reconstructing. And I, and I want to kind of hear some of his stories. And so we're listening to this, this, this guy and his wife talk about the, this, their church planting experience. You know, they're talking about all the different things. And, and, and basically, they're lamenting the typical, the typical laments of a, of a mega church, right? Like, no, 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 no. And uh, when it's all said and done, I like lean over to Bethany. And Bethany just like, she just pauses and I'm like, well, what do you think? And she goes, that's the saddest thing I've ever listened to. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? Like, what do you mean? You know, cause I'm, it's still a paradigm for me. So I can totally get it. I see it and all that. And she goes, I, I just, I don't understand what their problem is. Everything that they described that they want, isn't that how we gather? And I just, it hit me and I was like, oh, that's right. You're a 15 year old kid. That's only known one model of church. And so anytime I try to get her to like sing, like I'll go speak at a church or something, I'll take her with me. And I'm like, hey, we're going to worship. And, and she's just like, no, I don't, I, I don't want to do this. This this doesn't seem right. This, you know, and for her, she's got she has a mindset of what a model of church should look like. And so mm -hmm. just a great reminder that we have to we always have to have that ever reforming type idea that we're never we're never settled on the the right model of church. And so I remember last season, we took apart the concept of CME. So Christology informs your missiology, which informs your ecclesiology. And one of the most beautiful things about that is that your ecclesiology should be the most like malleable, the most fluid. And I feel like that is the season we're in. And Beth, you're right, Brennan, Beth's question definitely pulls that in. It's like, okay, how we gather, how we come together as the body, it's incredibly important not 
always don't put the model in front of the mission and definitely don't put the model in front of Jesus. Right. And so let's continue to look at that. Yeah. You know, another thing um, from this season was the latest podcast when uh, Alan Hirsch is is talking about the bottleneck being us as leaders. And I would say, you know, with COVID um, for myself, I had pokers and so many different fires. And for some people, COVID, their lives uh, slowed down. Mine just got so crazy busy. Uh, And it got to the point that it was so ridiculous. I couldn't maintain all of those things I was doing. All of the plates I was spinning were unattainable. And I, I wonder, you know, for, for pastors and leaders out there in this this time and this season, it, it got so crazy. And it's a gift to be able to say, I don't want to spin all of these plates anymore. But it's such a challenge, like Alan was saying, when your salary and your identity and who you are as a leader is tied up in there. And, you know, Beth is just so brave and, and, and to just ask those questions and to take ourselves out of the equation, just ask, you know, what are we supposed to be doing in this time, in this place? What are you asking of us, God? And, and then to be able to bravely do that. And I love that we started with Beth's question and, and ended with Alan talking about how we're going to faithfully lead in this time. It's a challenging time and, and humbly and faithfully serve the church. And that might mean us releasing power uh, to other people. So those are all really good. Uh, the one question that was really stirring in my brain as we were exploring all this, it was Brad Briscoe when he said, um, he had talked about the idea of metrics. And this is a conversation we had before COVID, but the idea of, bottom line, how do you know when you're successful, right? So you're you're a church, you're this organization, you could say you're a movement, um, all of these things. But he really said, hey, we probably need to look at our metrics. What are What are we shooting for? And I, I heard somebody say recently, um, metrics will inform your model, you know, because if you're shooting for one thing, you know, this is the thing we're looking for. This is how we know we're successful. Well, then how are you designed to accomplish that thing? So you're going to look back and say, how are we going to do that? And I love the conversation between, as Brad said, between uh, counting things and measuring things. Mm-hmm. And we are so, uh, it's so easy to count things. And we always kind of make fun of the typical church measurements, right? So if you remember going back, if you like think about a church in the 50s and 60s, you walk in and they have that wooden board up there that says, here are the hymns we're singing. And if you remember, here's today's attendance, here's last week's attendance, and here's the giving, which means those are the numbers that are the most important. Like we're going to celebrate these numbers, right? And so we get, uh, you know, fall into the, what do we call it? The three Bs, the butts, the budgets, and the baptisms. How many people are in the pews? How many, um, you know, what is the budget? How much money's coming in? How many baptisms are we having? And then that's an easy scorecard. Doesn't mean that those numbers aren't important, but are they the really thing we want to be going for? And so what are the things you could be measuring? Uh, and I love the example um, of, we've used this one a couple of different times. Of, let's say, uh, you know, in most states, they have an equation that says, you know, based on fourth grade reading levels, in so many years, you're going to need so many breads in your prison system. Like there's an equation they can plug in to make that happen. Well, if that's true, well, then how can we as the church, you know, affect that outcome? You know, how can we measure uh, a change in that? You know, well, okay, well, something about fourth grade reading liter- uh, literacy. So let's let's back it up. Let's look at second and third grade. Let's start investigating. Let's start getting into that. Let's start saying, how do we get kids to, to love to read? How do we get kids to do that? And that's something you can actually measure. And it takes a lot. It take, it's harder. It takes a lot of time. But 
that's where the real stuff happens. You know, that's where the real movement uh, of God is really going to start taking place. Doesn't mean the other numbers aren't important, but there is a difference between what we count and what we measure. And I love that question, what it means for the church. Yeah, I think Briscoe's uh, pod may be probably one of my favorite ones this year. Um, and I don't know. Maybe don't, it's don't, don't tell anybody else that, man. <laughs> well, I know. I, I'll just I'll just put it's it's the Baptist bump, uh, you know, so we, we have that 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 challenging heritage that we share. But um, no, I, I mean, there's something there's something there. And I think that in this we're, the season I'm in right now, I, the idea of measurements, I just think that's got to become a bigger thing. Uh, and, and I know we've had the conversation, especially at Expo the last handful of years about scorecards and things like that. But even even the way scorecards are done, it's 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 still numerical. It's still counting. It's still looking at the quantitative things that we're trying to count. And I, I do love what what Brad kind of advocates for is that yes, we can still count. We can still have quantitative things, but we have to really look at the qualitative things. And just like the prison, the prison beds versus fourth grade reading levels, like that that's a significant thing. How do, how do we measure that? There's gotta be a qualitative way of measuring that. Um, and I know he referenced, um, uh, Reggie McNeil's, uh, missional Renaissance. And, and he talks about measuring things in there. And then, uh, I was actually listening to Michael Frost, uh, speak the other day and he was talking about measurements as well. And one of the things that he used that was really, really helpful was the idea of, uh, thinking through the kingdom ethics. So like thinking, you know, again, this goes back to your vision, right? Your why, why do you do what you do? So if you can create a picture of your preferred future of what does it looks like if, if the kingdom of God just ushers in and blows up your spot, um, what would it look like? Like what would be the kingdom characteristics in that space? And then taking those characteristics and, creating some measurable qualitative ideas around it. And so the example that Frosty used is he gave David Gushy's kingdom ethics book. And, you know, he, Gushy talks about seven ethics that will be represented in the kingdom, deliverance, justice, uh, peace, harmony, reconciliation, the idea of healing and wholeness, those sorts of things. Um, so how do you create some measurable things around that? So what does, how do you measure wholeness in your community? right? That's messy. It's not going to be an easy way. It's not something you can count, but you can measure it. And so I think one is the willingness to to get a little messy and how we count things, not being so cut and dry where it's like, hey, how, you know, there's got to be a number. Can we put a number to it? You're not going to be able to put a number to wholeness. It's just that that's that just it's not how that works. Uh, how, families being restored and reconciled that that's like, you know, the, the way that a, a church lacks division, that, that that's just hard thing to uh, quantitatively kind of measure. But there's some qualitative things, you know, we can look at some of those things. And so but that requires slowing down and for leaders to slow down is almost impossible these days because we've created the environment that leaders are always going. They're they're always achieving. Um, but no, like slow down think through some processes, dream a little bit and create some measurables. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely a, a, a season favorite for sure. You know, piggybacking on that, um, being a leader that's processing those things, uh, you know, I think 
being able to bring people along with you on that processing that are that are in your community rather than having to go away, figure it out yourself, and then bring it back to the community and then convincing the community of those measurables. Uh, if the community is coming up with those measurables, if the community is a part of that process, they're being developed. You don't have to be the idea person. You're not the answer person. Uh, and everyone has a buy-in, and it's going to be a, a more whole, complete picture of the gospel. Uh so I would encourage myself, I would encourage other leaders as you're processing, man, what would be those measurables? Um, how many people can you make a part of that conversation and be the facilitator of creating those measurables rather than the creator of mm. the measurables? It's funny you mentioned that, Brenna, because the thing that you're actually advocating for uh, is something that I'm just, you, you don't see very often. You know, it, it is it is the idea of slowing down, but it's also the idea of including other people in the process. Uh, and, you know, many, many years of working with churches, it's, it's one or two people kind of leading those, having those conversations, creating those things, but there is something powerful and putting people in a room. It's, it's, it's the idea of tapping into the genius of the room, mm -hmm. right? So when a leader comes in and says, Hey, here are the measurables that I've discovered. Here's what I think we're relying on the genius of one person. And sometimes you get a great genius and good for you. And another times you've got a bozo that's that thinks they're way smarter than they are. But if they were just to slowly like look around the room and tap into the intelligence there, I, I've never been in a room where one person was smarter than the group. You know, there's always the genius in the room is always more weighty than the genius of the, of the individual. And oddly enough, as we look into season four, uh, that's a that's a topic and that's an idea that we're actually going to tease out and wrestle with for the entire season. And so if you're listening and you've heard us reference the a book called New Power uh, by Jeremy Hyman and Henry Thames, we're actually going to look at that and over the next I don't know. We'll see how many episodes we actually pull out of it. But the three of us, and we're going to have hopefully have some cool guests to join us on some of these conversations. But tease the idea of what does new power look like? So when you're coming up with your measurables, when you're looking at uh, your strategy for your church and the things that you put your your hands to, are you relying on old old power paradigms where you have a top down leader? who just does all of it themselves and just expects people to kind of get in line and conform? Or are you really looking at this kind of new age of leadership and new age of participation where everybody wants to play a part? And if you've been following any of the conversations we've been having in Forge, you know we are a people, we're a tribe that is all about everybody participates. Everybody has to play. There are no one gets to sit on the sideline. And so uh, I'm actually really excited about the conversations we're going to have in this next season, because I, I really do think uh, this could be a game changer. And this is not a Christian book. I, I don't I mean, I, I know these guys are philanthropic and I know they uh, s at least somewhat care about other people. But, you know, I think this I think this has uh, significant implications for the church. Yeah, new new power is you know looking at how social constructs work uh, in our in our culture, and those aren't necessarily good or bad inherently, but it's the it's the way that we relate to each other. And I I think in the church we need to think about 
how we're relating and how we're giving away um, the ministry that we've found ourselves in a bottleneck where, you know, we've heard it for years that 80% of the people do, or sorry, 20% of the people do 80% yeah, the of the Pareto work, principle. Right? Yeah. yeah, right? That's not what we see in the book of Acts. That's not what the church is meant to look like. And so, you know, like Beth is coming in swinging and asking really hard questions. We do have some really hard questions to ask, but it would behoove us to think about how our culture uh, views um, leadership and power. And, and we've got to take that into account as we lead in this current time. Yeah, this could actually be a really interesting season because you know, I'm sure everybody in the church world has been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I mean, that is a study on old power, where power, where does power reside, right? And for that church model, the power resided in the in the handful of, of, of just a few people, it, mainly Mark and Jamie and, and a couple other guys. And we saw what that looks, what that does to the church. And so asking yourself, where does the power truly lie? Is it in the hands of the people or is it in the hands of the few? And there are some scenarios and situations where the power in the hands of the few is a good thing, right? Uh, I, I'm okay with that. There are certain constructs uh, in our society that that is a good, I mean, I don't want the military to all of a sudden become a decentralized movement. I, I don't want our military to be like, hey, you know, pick pick your own battles, pick your own missions, you know, as if it was some video game that you could just warp over to. And, you, you know, it's like, it's no, it's good that there's some like some concrete power at the top that's kind of making sure that's leading and guiding us. Uh, but there are some organizations that that type of thinking and leadership actually does a lot of damage. Um, and I think the church is one of those. And so uh, if you're listening to this or you know someone who's been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, uh, make sure you you, you uh, share our podcast next season because it would be a great follow up uh, to that, that podcast for sure. Yeah, Terry. So we are definitely looking forward to season four. Um, because Brent is going to be with us, that's one of the reasons. Also because of this, we're going to be exploring this new power book. Uh, by Jeremy Hyman's and Henry Timms. We would definitely recommend getting that if you're a, a church leader, if you're a part of an organization, if you're wanting to mobilize people, I recommend getting the book, especially, you know, just even read those first two to three chapters. They're so powerful. The stories in them are great. And we're looking forward to unpacking it, but we're also looking forward to the people that we're gonna be interviewing who are kind of demonstrating and living out some of these new power ideas and what that means. So we're, we're lining up our interviews now. We've got some exciting people that we're gonna get into. Let me jump in real quick with a disclaimer uh, in case anyone reads the book before we get the next season started. By no means are we suggesting that all the ideas in these books we're 100% on board with. The idea of new power even though we find it fascinating and we do think it's going to be really helpful for the church, there are some ways that new power can actually be harmful. And so please read it that way. Um, by no means are we saying this is the way, but it is a fascinating study that I think will be very helpful that we can just one, just to see how this, this, new, this world is kind of moving and working. Yeah. I think it's a great cultural analysis. I think yeah. that's the idea is that it's gonna, it's like, let's, this is how the world's moving right now. There's some really good things that we could take from this. And so let's understand it. Yeah, let's take a, an analysis of our, our current culture and put that up against the gospel. And that's what we talked about before, right? We need to uh, contextualize the gospel into the current culture. And so we need to understand the current culture. Um, we need to be uh, 
studying that and understanding how people are interacting and, and what questions they are asking so that we can know how the gospel answers that question and how we set up communities that are gospel communities in the current culture. Yes, that's great. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here on the podcast and thank you guys for listening. Really thankful for you on this journey as we finish up season three and as we're working towards season four, we are really excited about what it's going to mean uh, for for our journey, for this, for you as the listener. And so keep an ear out. I think sometime early October is when we're going to launch it. We're going to turn around and start this pretty quick. But definitely share the podcast, rate us on iTunes, Spotify, however you listen to it. It kind of helps get the word out. But as always, we thank you for listening. Till next time. Bye, friends.